Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This week on Film Chat, Danny and the rest of the girls wrestle with fame and friendship ahead of the biggest performance of their career at the Royal Albert Hall having to deal with the intrusions of an annoying director, Hollywood screenwriters, and shameless paparazzi, they struggle to find time for me, their pregnant friend. Sorry about that. Well, oh, sorry, wait a minute. That's, in fact, the plot of 90s pop romp Spice World. Oh, yeah. This is really a... <laughs> <laughs> this is really a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and this is the scariest, poshest baby I know, Danny Moran. Hello. On this episode of Film Chat, I review Stone Cold Influential Masterpiece Top 5, written and directed by Chris Rock. And then we both tackle this cheap and, quite frankly, pathetic Top 5 knockoff, Eight and a Half, directed by Federacchio Fellini? Fellini? Felu- Who cares? Uh, plus, even more new Star Wars news, even more new Marvel news, and even more new Will Poulter news. All this and my four-hour presentation about why George Lazenby is clearly and by far and away the greatest Bond ever, which Katie has assured me will make the podcast. It better. It better. Woo! Woo! So, correspondences. One from James Andrews. We had a plaintive cry for um, people to talk to us on Facebook. James stepped in, but he was a bit uninspired. Yeah, he said, can I just get a mention? I mean, I don't really have anything to say this week, but can I have a mention? Thanks. So, James. Well, by us reading that out, you have been mentioned. Yeah. It's a bit of a catch-22. You tricked us, James. There we go. Let's move on from him. Moving on. Uh, Chris Young asks, what are Cameron, Miliband, Farage's, Sturgeon, Clegg, Bennett's, etc.'s favourite films? You must in no way speculate wildly, unless, of course, you must. Yeah, it's a good thing Chris wrote that in because it makes this podcast really topical. Yeah. It's the day before the election, listeners. By the time you hear this, it's probably people will know. Yeah. Right? Or people won't because they'll be discussing their hung parliament and, you know, backroom doors deciding what 
um, you know, who should run the country. So maybe this podcast will be a little pick me up after the Tories have won again, or maybe uh, we'll be elated they're out and it'll just add to the celebrations. Yeah, exactly. It'll either be the cherry on the top of the big celebration cake, or it'll be the cherry that you eat, you know, after because you're feeling bad. Uh, <laughs> sort I, of comfort cherry. I was trying to think what cocktails have a cherry in them, you know. Oh. The, after yeah. your 12th it'll be the cherry on the cosmo <laughs> the cherry at the bottom of the glass of your 12th cosmopolitan yeah so um good question chris and uh and being the dedicated researchers we are all of us looked into the answers <laughs> individually i well, yeah we couldn't find them all but i tweeted the three leaders whose favorite films we couldn't um find in the hope that they'd let me know but they haven't done that yet have to do, I'll do an update on Facebook if um, Nigel Farage, um, Leanne Wood, or um, Nicola Sturgeon Nicola Sturgeon get back to us. Cameron's favourite film is Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. However, in an early interview with the Mail, uh, he said his top five would consist of Lawrence of Arabia, Where the Eagles Dare, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Casablanca, and Schindler's List. And then he made an extra entry of The Last Ten Minutes of Shrek 2. Why, I thought it was Nick. I thought it was Nick Clegg like the last time of Shrek Two. No, it's Cameron. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting choice. Very interesting choice. What happens, the, what happens in the last ten minutes of Shrek Two? So the last ten minutes of Shrek Two. I mean, in Cameron's events, they're thrilling. Do you remember the plot exactly of this? Yeah, he Do goes away. Happens? He he turns into a, a handsome human, prince. Right. Right. And Princess Fiona is also human, isn't she? Or is she still an ogre or something? She's an ogre, but she thinks that Rupert Everett is Shrek, right? Prince Charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the villain. Some magic, some magic happens, and they all sing "Living the Vida Loca" by by Ricky Martin. Probably should have researched that one better because I don't remember the plot. Why would that be your sick favorite film of all time? The last ten minutes of Shrek Two. I don't know. It's not even the best Shrek movie. I don't know. I mean, someone probably whispered in his ear that it would be cute if he said that, and he's just like, "And the last ten minutes of Shrek Two." <laughs> he probably had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, the la- according to David Cameron, the last ten minutes of Shrek Two is, is the sixth best film of all time. <laughs> But, yeah. How can you vote for a man who thinks that? But it's interesting that his favourite film is Lawrence of Arabia because um, just a few weeks ago we were talking about how Jeremy Clarkson dismissed Lawrence of Arabia as just being about some you know brown people like rolling in dust or something <laughs> quite racist sounding like that. And they're mates. And they're mates, right? So maybe that's a real rift. Maybe that drove. Maybe that's why he allowed um, uh, the BBC to fire Clarkson because uh, he didn't step in to save him because he was like, well, he doesn't appreciate Lawrence of Arabia, which is yeah. my favourite film. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Um, Miliband favorite film is 12 angry men yeah good choice Miller good Band. choice good choice about social justice nick clegg on his london uh lbc radio show was asked what his favorite film was he said kung fu panda i thought his favorite film was the class the was it? uh well i read that somewhere else his favorite film is like this um french movie called the class that was on like a bbc all right well on lbc he said kung fu panda maybe those are his two favorites yeah, and his co-host started giggling, and he said, I don't want to belittle this. I know you're chortling like it's just for children, but actually it's incredibly funny for adults as well. The characters are amusing and endearing. I challenge you once you watch Kung Fu Panda, whether you are eight years old or an adult, whether you can resist getting up off your sofa and starting to do some Kung Fu chops in your living room. But as a movie fan, there's a big difference between one of the greatest movies in recent years and the greatest film of all time. I feel like that quote's been taken out of context. What's he talking about there? Mm. Uh... 
Mel, maybe he you know, should have gone on then to specify what he thought the greatest film of all time was, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Have you seen Kung Fu Panda? Yeah. Did you watch it in the living room? Yes. Did you get up <laughs> off your sofa and start doing Kung Fu? No, I just changed the channel to something else. <laughs> what? <laughs> How did you resist? It's like, it's not like if you're going to go for like a children's animation, go for like Toy Story or. Oh, yeah, Pixar. Or film. Pixar, you know? Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. Uh, well, you know, fair play to him. It's not a movie you'd pick if you were like, this is going to be cool. It's true. That's an honest answer. That's got to be an honest answer, right? Because yeah. that's not the film you'd pick to impress people. At all. Whereas the next pick is very impressive because. Uh, who's next? Natalie Bennett was asked on the Facebook Q&A what her favourite film was, to which she replied, In what I've seen recently, I really enjoyed Paddington. Lovely light relief and a strong message about welcoming migrants. Good choice. Good choice. Good choice, Bennett. I mean, yeah. I get, you know, it's good that she clarified in recent years because it would look like she had a bit of a short cinematic memory if her favourite film of all time was released <laughs> in 2014. I think but, um, my favourite film is Avengers 2. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the best film ever made. Age of Ultron, it's about all these guys banding together, you know, <laughs> to defeat an evil. That's how she talks, isn't it? <laughs> you nailed it. She's from Australia, right? She's Bennett. from Sydney or something. Yeah. And um, I know you couldn't find the other uh, favourite films, but I have. Oh, you uh, found them down. Leanne Wood, uh, as a proud Welsh woman, she obviously loves Pride mm-hmm. and Submarine. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, Karen Up the Kyber, because the exterior is. Uh, even though it's set in India, they were shot at the summit of Mount Snowden. So, ah, so she Snowden. Loves, she loves carrying up the Kyber. Um, Nicholas Sturgeon, her favourite film is uh, probably Local Hero, but she also has a, a soft spot of heart for the Neil Marshall film Doomsday, <laughs> which is all about a killer virus starts in uh, Scotland. So Britain just seal off the walls of Scotland, let everyone die there. Yeah. I mean, if that's not a metaphor for well, exa- the way exactly. the English treat... That's a perfect metaphor for her whole political philosophy. Yeah, so Doomsday really strikes a chord of her. And Nigel Farage, his favourite films are King Kong, Birth of a Nation, The First Six Minutes of Dumbo, <laughs> Songs of the South, Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen, and uh, 27 Dresses. So what links those movies together? Racism and uh, 27 Dresses. I think it's because he's got a German wife and <laughs> Catherine Heigl's in it. Uh, <laughs> So, I got the know. racism theme, but then 27 Dresses kind of took me a little bit. <laughs> came out of left field, but now I see that it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only movie he could think of with a German in it. Yeah. Catherine Heigl is the most German actor he's ever seen in a film. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his favorite films. Wow. Surprisingly um, interesting, varied picks from, from those three leaders. Yeah. And uh, Nicholas Dirge has more in common with Jeremy Clarkson than you, than you might yeah. have thought, because one of his favorite films is Local Hero. So yeah. They've got a lot in common. I mean, I made that up, but they've probably got a lot in common. So so Clarkson's real cinematic ally has got to be Sturgeon, even though he probably thinks that the Scottish people are all like one-eyed. He probably calls her like a two-eyed Scottish idiot. Yeah, (laughs) two-eyed. He did call her a two-boobed Scottish idiot, didn't he? Yeah, Yeah, stupid two-eyed biped Scottish moron. (laughs) He just loves naming how many people have With your mouth full of teeth and your head covered in hair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, interesting. Well, on the basis of that, I'll be, um, well, it's got to be Leanne Wood. Yeah. Yeah. If she's standing <laughs> in my constituency. So. It's <laughs> the satire. Oh, I got a real thrill when I read Chris's letter. It was, I was just, I felt warm and fuzzy inside. And yes. if you want to give me that sensation, listeners, send us a message. Write in and let us know. Write in and let us know how much you want me to feel that way. Write in and let us know. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Lachamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. My 
So they've been trying to remake Stephen King's novel It for a long time, which was a um, TV miniseries with Tim Curry as the scary clown called Pennywise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert on it. Um, but that's about as much as I know of it. It's this gigantic novel, right? It's like 1,500 yeah. million pages long or something like that. Yeah. And so it's been a tricky proposition to turn into a film. But they finally seem to have cracked it. And Kari Fukunaga, who is probably best known as the director of True Detective, and uh, he's made a couple of other movies as well, including the recent Jane Eyre, and he's going to adapt it. Um, and it's uh, moved along a little bit further today or recently as um, they've cast their new Pennywise the Clown, and it's going to be Will Poulter. Which is an interesting choice. Yeah. The last time I saw him, he was um, uh, shouting about Rambo in Son of Rambo. <laughs> so like, I saw him as a child. He was like, <laughs> he was, yeah, he was a child. <laughs> Literally a well, child. He wasn't scary at all. You know, he was just like making his like annoying older brother scrambled eggs or something. Not to be a bit of a name dropper, but I once met Will Poulter. Oh, yeah? Briefly. And he, he was a really nice guy. Was he? Very nice. Yeah. Yeah? Oh. Was, was he dressed as a clown? Was he scary? <laughs> 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 He was dressed as a clown. When I say nice, I mean, like, terrifying. <laughs> Terrifyingly nice. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you know much about, like... I know the interesting thing about it is because it's a ma- such a massive book, he's going to make two films out of it. Oh, I see. Okay. So, because apparently the span of the novel is, like, follows a group of friends when they're kids and then when they're older. So it's kind of interesting, you know, because there's... I mean, I don't know, like, is there a massive demand for, like, an It movie? But to have the kind of confidence to do a spread over two films that's a, quite a ballsy move for yeah. like a non Maybe super cin- commercial cinema property. chains are just like increasingly like make it into three films four films and make as many films out of this as you want yeah, yeah. that's their whole yeah. I wonder if it like if there'll be a cliffhanger if it'll like conclude in some way and then I don't know don't know don't know the novel well enough to but comment I don't know it's interesting Will Poulter he seems to be making strides in the industry you yeah because they considered Mark Rylance and Ben Mendelsohn for the same role <laughs> and those are substantially different <laughs> actors I consider the greatest actor of his generation. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. I'm like, nah, I'll just go for the... Yeah. Uh, he's, the he's the real actor's actor. Yeah. Mark Rylance, uh, you he's may... A... I mean, he's probably best known for um, playing one of Sean Penn's <laughs> friends in The Gunman. But he's considered to be like the greatest Shakespearean actor living. Yeah. And um, Ben Mendelsohn is just in every single film you probably see at the cinema, always yeah. playing some supporting role. Um, so I would love talking about Star Wars. They keep on releasing new news items so people keep on talking about it. Yeah. Maybe that's part of their plan. They're making so many films at once. So the next spin-off movie coming in 2018 is going to be the Boba Fett origin story. Oh, I'm so excited. Boba Fett? Yeah. He's the guy who puts Han Solo in the carbonite and uh, you get seen by a big plant thing. He's, sort of a, he's a very um, minor character in the movies, but people really latched onto him, I think mainly because he's got a cool helmet and a jetpack. Yeah, so we've already seen uh, a bit of Boba Fett's origins because he is the clone of Jango Fett. Jango Fett is the bounty hunter whose DNA forms all the clones in Star Wars, mm-hmm. but as part of the conditions... He's for... so good to clone. <laughs> so good to clone. He says, you can have my DNA, but I want a regular little clone of myself who ages at a normal rate, who I'm going to raise as a son. This was Boba. So there has been three actors who played Boba before, right? So it could be Tamara Morrison who played Jango Fett. Because uh, of the clones, right? Yeah, so, it would make sense. He's 54 no, now. He's too old. He's 54. Yeah. Okay. Uh, young Boba was played by Daniel Logan, who's now 28. So there you go, play him. And the original Boba from <laughs> the original trilogy was played by Jeremy Bullock, who's now 70. 
Well, he's a bit of a he'd be a bit of a controversial choice. Yeah. So, yeah. but did did he even ever get out of the armor in the in the original? No, no. So it'd be quite weird to cast the same guy. <laughs> he's slightly too frail to do any of the like action and stuff. Who do you think should play him? In my mind, there's only two people for the role: Daniel Radcliffe, uh-huh. because he dressed up as him once recently <laughs> at Comic Con. <laughs> so we know he can wear the costume. Yeah, he, he, well, he, his head fits inside the helmet. <laughs> so, or uh, Kirk Douglas. Any particular reason? He's 98 years old. <laughs> Were you just searching for the, the one actor older than Christopher Lee still alive? Like a really old actor, and I found out Kirk Douglas was still alive. God, he's 98. Spartacus is still alive. Oh, my God. He's 98. Yeah, but he's, still not, he's not still working, right? He wasn't in The Hobbit or anything. He? <laughs> he was in The Hobbit. <laughs> he was Hasrog the Defiler. He mo-capped it. That was Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wore that sort of chain thing in Spartacus. He's used to having, you know, like a heavy one arm. <laughs> so he's like, I can play the one arm. I'm sure uh, that's what they were thinking. <laughs> they had a parade of actors who were, you know, 35 who came in to play Azog. But they were all, it's too heavy than the arm. It just didn't work. Yeah. And they were like, oh, this is impossible. Where can we turn? And then there was a rap at the door. <laughs> Astonishingly ancient man came in. <laughs> Screen legend Kirk Douglas, what are you doing here? And he just lifted the whatever the claw is that Azog has, and they were like, "Wow, amazing!" Put a hundred blue dots on this man's body immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that was like an audition monologue. And see, <laughs> yeah, so from my new play, That's Kirk hap- Douglas auditions <laughs> for the whole of it. It's gonna be how it happened. Yeah. yeah, so I think he. Yeah, I mean he's the front runner, right? Yeah, that's the. Yeah. So ironically, he his days are running. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> himself a log on. Anyway, so that's one to look forward to. Yes. Um, More news, Sam. Well-known comedian Louis C.K. He's got a he's got a very popular show on FX called Louis, and uh, he is returning to the land of movies. Um, he's making a film called I'm a Cop, which is actually his second film. I uh, he, he made, made a previous film. Pootie Tang. Directed Pootie Tang. Pootie Tang. He made another film, the name oh, of which yeah. I can't quite remember. Some kind of weird comedy. He was talking about it on David Letterman on a clip I watched on YouTube. Look it up yourselves, listeners. <laughs> I'm not a. I'm not an encyclopedia. Come on. Yeah. So he's uh, had a lot of success with his sitcom. It's been running for several years, like on series five now or something yeah, like that. It's really had good. A great deal of critical acclaim. Um. So yeah, I've got to be looking looking forward to this one. The script is about a depressed middle aged man. What? In his wheelhouse. <laughs> Wait a second. How the hell what? is he going to play a self-hating, that? Self-hating, bold, <laughs> slightly overweight middle-aged man who is a volunteer police officer living in the shadow of his mother, a highly decorated and enormous retired officer. <laughs> physically or? Physically enormous um, because he's living in a shadow. When she dies, her continued influence forces him to become a real police officer, which is something he never wanted to be. This is the film Paul Blart, Mall Cop, wants to be. But yeah, we don't know too much about it so far, except that an extremely talented man is making it. He's got real like dramatic chops, Louis C.K., um, as well as funny chops. You know, he's got some he's got some good chops going for him. Great chops, <laughs> killer chops. So um, I look forward to it. Looking forward to that. That will be coming. Who At knows when? Some point in the future. At some <laughs> point in the future. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Future! <laughs> Danny. Final bit of news. Casting news. The best kind of news. Martin Freeman is going to be in Captain America Free Civil War. Fantastic. A film which has already got about 8,000 cast members. Yeah. Has just added another one. So obviously some speculation about who's who's he going to play. Yeah. I was like, I took the internet, did some research. I've, I've worked it out. There's only one person he could play. Captain Britain. Captain Britain? Captain Britain is a fictional character, a superhero appearing in the comic books published by Marvel Comics, created by Chris Claremont and Herb Trimb bizarre name he first appeared in captain britain weekly in october 1976 he's a huge fan favorite do you want to know his backstory okay yeah please as long as it's as good as captain boomerangs from a few weeks ago when we looked into that so captain britain's real name is brian braddock (laughs) braddock braddock brian braddock that's a made-up name yeah one of the great things about the backstory is it's clearly written by americans right yeah so born and raised in the small town of malden essex and educated at fetz college in edinburgh brian was a shy and studious youth living a relatively quiet life and spending a lot of time with his parents and siblings, older brothers Jamie and fraternal twin Elizabeth. Yeah, the Work, family... working at a paper company, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The family was an aristocratic one uh, that was no longer rich enough to fraternise with their former academic peers, leaving Brian too proud to fraternise with the lower classes, a lonely child who Lord... immersed himself <laughs> in the study of physics. Did you hear what happened to the Braddocks? <laughs> Lost all their money. God, can't invite them to the ball anymore. <laughs> Okay, so he's a physician. He's, he's a, a physician. Phys- after phys- the death, physician. physics man. Physics man. After the death of his parents, in what seemed to be a laboratory accident. Oh my god! Brian takes a fellowship at Darkmoor Nuclear Research Centre. When the facility is attacked by the technological criminal Joshua Strag, okay. <laughs> AKA, we just entered the comics. AKA the Reaver, Brian tries <laughs> tries to find help by escaping on his motorbike. However, he crashes his bike in a nearly fatal accident. Merlin and his daughter, the omniversal guardian Roma, appear to the battle. Merlin. No, um, yeah, Merlin. Merlin. Merlin, what like, did I say? You just sort of went Merlin. <laughs> you mean uh, Merlin from, like, King Arthur? Yeah, right? but he spelled with a Y. Okay, okay. Merlin and his daughter, the omniversal guardian Roma, appear to the battle injured Brian. They give him the chance to be the superhero Captain Britain. He is offered a choice, the amulet of right or the sword of might. <laughs> considering himself to be no warrior and unsuited for the challenge he rejects the sword and chooses the amulet this choice transforms Brian Braddock into Captain Britain so he's a sort of he's like the he's British not, equivalent of Captain so America. he's not mighty he doesn't have the sword well apparently it just makes him super pumped and like just like Captain America just, so what does the sword do? I have no idea how pumped is he going to get with a weapon? No, I, didn't, I didn't read that far ahead okay um, sounds so great I think Martin Freeman is like Perfect. I re- I would love to see a standalone Captain Britain film starring Martin Freeman. That'd He's like the British Chris Evans. Physically. Um, mentally, men- very similar. <laughs> mentally, very He's similar. He's got the brain of Chris Evans. They've had very similar careers. Incredibly similar careers. The comparisons are numerous and obvious. And, yes. And there's no point not in going worth, into them. Not worth stating. So, yeah, I, I like Martin Freeman is great. He's someone who was very much in danger of being typecast as forever. The kind of geeky, awkward... Um, guy from the office, and he's really expanded. Yeah. Um, from that, and he's fantastic in The Hobbit. He's really good in Fargo, and they're both very un-Tim Office-like roles, for the most part. So yeah, bring him in. Bring him into the Marvel universe. Why not? Yeah, get that guy in there. 
My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So Danny and I had our weekly date yesterday. We went to... Date night. Date night. I pretend to be a pilot on a <laughs> yeah. shipping out tomorrow. And I'm a, a passionate um, Spanish buccaneer. <laughs> Wait, we're both similar. <laughs> That's why we're such good friends. So we're both... <laughs> no, yeah. Both have a lot of the same interests. <laughs> anyway. Well, anyway. What an evening. So we both, we both had this sort of um, sailing criminal personas, and uh, we went to the BFI, went to see Eight and a Half, um, which is a classic. It's directed by um, Fellini, who's a sort of filmmaker's filmmaker, Yeah. and uh, this is um, a film about a director which directors love. You know, whenever you see like director's top um, five list of movies, Eight and a Half is often very near the top, um, and uh, its style is very like, influential. It was released in 1963. Um, it stars Marcello Mastroianni, um, who you may also have seen in La Dolce Vita, another Fellini film. And the film's about a filmmaker who's played by Mastroianni and is obviously basically an avatar for Fellini himself. Um, and he's preparing um, to shoot a film um, and struggling with creative paralysis and his messy personal life. And it's sort of liberally sprinkled with um, dream sequences and flashbacks um, and it's quite uh, long, <laughs> and um, yeah, I I really enjoy it. You've seen it before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, um, and so you were already on board. I was already on board, but I watched it again. And I was like, yes, I do like this film. It's something I wasn't expecting when I basically when I watched it, I kind of watched it in a sort of I should have seen this movie by now. And I'm like, you know, even if I hate it, I'm just going to watch it to say I had. Yeah. Sometimes I'm going to be surrounded by some kind of snooty film people and they're going to mention it. I don't want to seem like an idiot. Yeah, precisely. But it's uh, what was so pleasantly surprising about it is like how enjoyable it is and yeah. how light it is. And um, I think it's so easy for these kind of the subject matter to just become a bit sort of annoying and. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and really uh, indulgent. Indulgent and a bit alienating. It's like, you know, who cares about this, you know, super handsome film director and his hot women and his, all his problems? Yeah, stupid problems. <laughs> but uh, there's such a sort of. Um, so much fun. There's such a sort of showmanship's hand to it. It's like every sequence is. Uh, like really fought through and like, yeah, like painstakingly choreographed and like, yeah, yeah like there's all this m- music and like little comedy beats when all the dramatic scenes and also it's got this really strong uh, dramatic center and like it's not just like some wanky like is you know is it a film and a film and a film absolutely it's, like, yeah. it's got this um, very well realized um, relationship drama at the heart of it which kind of just makes all the gives a little gravitas to all these sort of funny yeah, sequences yeah because it's like it's like an avant-garde film um, in that it's got you know, these like surreal elements and um, uh, it's uh, not very plot driven. You know, it's kind of like um, patched together. But um, you could you could make a movie that's like half the length and which is just makes perfect narrative sense if you take out the kind of um, the dream sequences and the flashbacks and stuff. But also, yeah. And what also I've, what's so uh, accessible about it, I found, was all the self-reflexive moments are done with a real sense of humor. Yeah. And the main character is almost like full of self-loathing for himself and like even he doesn't really have faith in his problems and how serious they are yeah and i I like the fact that his his self-loathing and his like misery is done in this really light mocking way yeah like it's very sort of cutting um and mocking but it's uh 
it's not like depressing you know it doesn't it's it's a, it's an indulgent film in the sense that it's two and a half hours long and there's like not that much plot to it but it's so it feels so light that it's uh you don't feel like it's just an artist wallowing in their own like creative despair or anything yeah yeah it's got the kind of energy and like freedom to it as though it all just kind of splurged like out of him and uh but it's also very meticulous like a lot of the long sequences like the dream sequences and everything in the movie are all so um carefully put together and like well choreographed and like people are popping in and out of the frame and out of focus and there's all these little things happening there's Mm. all there's all these little activities and stuff which are all like done exactly so and it's often um tends to be a soundtrack to some like well-known piece of classical music which is it's obviously been you know synced up to yeah. kind of fit and uh and there's a sense of momentum to it all the time it's it's just it's just really excellent it actually kind of reminded me of watching like an entire series of mad men condensed into uh, a single like two-hour movie in a way because <laughs> it's like people in beautiful dresses and suits and you know going to like parties and soirees and dinners and all this kind of thing and it all centers around this one miserable handsome guy who's (laughs) surrounded by women who like in turn sort of love and like you know have contempt for him and his issues and everything and uh yeah yeah there's a definite definite influence on matthew weiner yeah definitely uh what's impressive about the movie is it's obviously got a lot of I don't know. Maybe I'm just reiterating, but it's got like a lot of thought into it, and, you, and it's inspired a lot of uh, critical thinking. And there's all this subset text, and you imagine all this imagery could be analyzed to death. But it really doesn't really matter if you buy into that at all. It's just like a fun ride, and his instincts yeah. as a storyteller like far supersede him like trying to make some sort of points. It's you know yeah. he's I, just I also think such that a the, good entertainer. the symbolism of it is not obscuring the meaning. You know, you know, it's not some kind of puzzle piece where you're like, what does it all mean? You know, he picks up the bug and looks at it. And does that represent this? <laughs> I, I feel like it's not a film that's trying to disguise its message from you. Yeah. It's very clear, you know, what it's getting at. And it feels refreshing. You don't, you feel like you're in on it, you know? He's yeah. like welcoming you into the whole experience and like showing you around rather than being some kind of obscure genius, just presenting you with mental stuff and being like, deal with it. <laughs> so yeah, I highly recommend it. Yeah. So, um, Yes. Watch uh, it. I'd like to uh, see it I'm eight and a half times. Eight and a half. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to say it's good. Okay. I um, give it eight and a half out of eight and a half. I give it eight and a half out of eight. <laughs> Whoa, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, and that's playing... New York's um, hottest club. It's on re-release, so it's at the BFI all throughout May, and also it's playing at the ICA. So, but it also has been on DVD since DVDs were invented. It's, it was made uh, 52 years ago, so it's quite easy to get. But you should go see it on the big screen because it's a very cinematic experience. Yeah, be a fiat. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask we fall? Out of Danny for the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Yes, so from one old movie about a man in a creative crisis comes a new movie about a man in a creative crisis top five is the new film from from chris rock i say that as if that's an event the new film from chris rock yes um which came out yesterday he wrote starred and directed in it to give you the synopsis chris rock plays andre allen who 10 years ago was the most lauded stand-up comedian in america since then, he's given up stand-up and has starred in a series of financially successful but critically panned films entitled Hammy the Bear 1, 2, and 3, in which he stars as a bear who's also a cop, delivering justice. Um, 
He is also a recovering alcoholic and is engaged to a reality TV star. And the film takes place over one day where his new film called Uprise about a historical Haitian revolt, which is like a dramatic film he starred, wrote and directed, is coming out. But it's also the day before his wedding, so he's got to prepare for his bachelor party. And he's also got to do a feature interview with the least convincing New York Times film critic ever, played by Rosario Dawson, who is herself a recovering alcoholic. Oh my God, it's such a busy day. So... So that synopsis kind of indicates uh, the quality of the film, which is uh, it's a it's a bit of a mess. It's a bit too much going on. Yeah, and um, like he wrote run he wrote one draft where it was just his film coming out in the interview, <laughs> and he was like, "It's not enough. Got to yeah. be my wedding as well." It's sort of like yeah, the story is in like bad need of an editor, but it's got a lot of uh, things to recommend about it. I mean, and the the movie is is at its best when it's a bit like a stand up, which is when it's sort of like flowing quite naturally and like really honest and uh, profane and hilarious but there's also just um, sequences which are very constructed and those bits don't really work because it's a bit like you're watching this sort of loose semi-improvised movie and suddenly like oh it's like it's like a different film yeah and the flashback sequences they're very elaborate and the payoff is like a really broad kind of lame toilet humor sort of joke <laughs> it's a bit like that wouldn't be our place in the sort of movie he's parodying Right, okay, yeah. Um, There's always a danger, you know? Because if you're making a movie like that, you're kind of claiming that you're above it. Yeah. And then if uh, if something you know doesn't work, then it can seem like, yeah. Precisely. I don't know. I was a little disappointed by the film because I like Chris Rock. He's a smart man. He's a smart man. I would advise everyone to check out the interviews he did in Vanity Fair and The Hollywood Reporter, where he talks very frankly and smartly about uh, race and yeah. entertainment. And like, yeah. yeah. He just comes across as like a really interesting guy. I was kind of reading his interview is like yes yes Chris Rock good point good yeah. point and um, Chris Rock is also a big Woody Allen fan and as am I many one of the many things we have in common <laughs> me and Chris Rock and the many of the plot elements mimic Woody Allen's film Stardust Memories which itself is a loose reworking of eight and a half this is another director uh, facing creative uh, crisis creative crisis um, yeah and like in Stardust Memories the recurring line is Woody Allen's always meeting his fans and they always say you know I, I, we love your films particularly the early funny ones yeah yeah and uh, Chris Rock is constantly saying this movie that he doesn't feel funny anymore he can't do stand up because he's you know he doesn't doesn't feel funny so he can't be funny yeah I know the film's a mess because it has like kind of too many targets in a way he's trying to like lampoon too many things and a lot of his targets are just like a bit doesn't mean really, you know celebrities are vapid it's like okay you know or reality TV is a bit shit it's not really saying much. I mean, like, there's this whole plot thing about him starring in these shitty, like, talking bear movies, which is, like, just not as good as, like, the funny people fake films. It's the same, same kind of thing, right? Adam Sandler in Funny People is another, like, uh, uh, like, used to be a big comedian, then became a movie star who made, like, sell-out comedies. Yeah. And then is, you know, trying to rediscover himself or something. Yeah, precisely. But, but the, the Adam Sandler ones are really funny, like Merman and... Uh, yeah, they're really funny, and yeah. also they're not really that dissimilar to the movies he kind of makes. Whereas Chris Rock isn't really that comedian. Yeah, so he it's like Adam Sandler is kind of like making fun of himself, and Chris Rock is making fun of Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's sort of playing. Maybe if Eddie Murphy played the role, it would make more sense. Yeah, but he's like a sort of uh, black comedian who's really respected, and now just makes shitty movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sort of Chris Rock's sort of playing Eddie Murphy, maybe. Whereas like Chris Rock is sort of maintained his integrity throughout his career he hasn't like really sold out and yeah i don't know i don't really want to see another movie about a celebrity having a crisis it's a bit dull maybe the reason that it's that you like it an eight and a half is because it's this um 
this cool 60s atmosphere and you know i feel no real connection to that world so i'm not like annoyed by the lavishness of the setting or the self-absorption of the main character yeah whereas in a movie like top five it's like we know that celebrity world so well that uh you know maybe it just seems a bit more galling to have someone moan about being in it yeah it's that and it's also the bits that are kind of interesting and also harkens back to those interviews is when he talks about uh, being a black person in a predominantly well predominantly is understanding it slightly like yeah. white industry and there's bits in the movie where it, it's like that's its focus and it's like oh i wish the movie had been about that because that's like a fresher take on it yeah and um the best thing in the movie uh which must be improvised because it's so good is like uh because if he'd no one it, can write this <laughs> well it's like he goes back to his like ho- home neighborhood and like all his friends are played by like a sort of a who's who of like awesome comedy black actors and there's all them just hanging out and the movie like really comes to life and it's like oh this is awesome and it's like i kind of wish it had been more like that and then the sort of plot elements have to kick in and he keeps on having to sort of like fulfill certain things he set up but it's a bit like you know just forget about that stuff and you know get, get back to the cool actors hanging out i mean the other thing it riffs on is the sort of richard Linklater before sunrise sort of thing his relationship with rosario dawson is like over a day they fall and sort of meet in love and stuff oh i see yeah and that bit those bits are kind of like quite good mainly because rosario dawson's just really good she's like uh i think she's underrated she should be in more movies yeah haven't don't think i've seen a real meaty dramatic role maybe trance when she has to like Ugh. shave a vagina for no reason yeah she did that incredibly well <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't seen Trance, it's quite a weird thing to say. But seriously, it's no matter how weird it is to hear that that's what there's nothing compared to watching another film. It's such a bizarre film. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a mixed bag, really. I kinda it feels like it's like a promising debut of by a fifty year old man who's made like four other films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But it's kinda it's um maybe it's it should be lauded for its ambition in a way because he's like really striving to be a bit more dramatically accurate and stuff. I know I like, I really like the idea of Chris Rock becoming like a Woody Allen figure, like have that same sort of, you know, relationship, comedy, drama sort of shtick. But yeah, yeah. instead of being about, I mean, there are no black people in Woody Allen movies. Yeah. Like absolutely. the sort of Chris Rock version of like, like just those in- stories. Inherently makes yeah, it a bit more interesting. That'd yeah. be really cool when this movie isn't really it, I would say. If you're a Chris Rock fan, there's like bits to enjoy in it, but it doesn't really cohesively come together so how many rock stars do you get it i'd give it like a 6.5 maybe out of rock stars 10 i don't know it's like a sort of it's not a bad movie it's just a better if you call on tv you'd probably enjoy it but don't really go out your way to go see it i would say all right yesterday i bumped into imelda staunton she was up with her dog and we got talking i asked her what she does when she isn't acting she said she likes podcasts for relaxing imelda when you're in the mood what do you listen to she said i listen to one podcast i listen to one podcast will you the ones can kiss my ass because i listen to one podcast film chat film chat film chat film chat film chat Finally, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 6th of May. This is a very important day because it is Orson Welles' birthday. It's actually his 100th birthday. Oh, my God. Um, you know Orson Welles. He's Wells. 100 years old. Yeah, he is, I mean, and still going strong. I mean, he just pitched Kirk <laughs> Douglas to um, the big 100, um, except, unfortunately, he died you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> but if he hadn't, he'd be older than Kirk Douglas if he hadn't died 20, Not many people can say that. 28 years before him.
So anyway, so it's his birthday. Orson Welles is obviously very well known um, as a famous actor, uh, writer and director, things like Citizen Kane and Touch of Evil and many great theatre productions. But in the twilight of his <laughs> life, Orson Welles maybe faded a little bit. He got incredibly obese and... Um, <laughs> grew a huge beard. Grew a huge beard. And uh, his kind of output consisted principally of um, adverts. <laughs> um <laughs> Because he's got he's got a very recognisable voice and there's a great amount of gravitas to it. Yes. And remarkable. so what better man to sell photocopiers or whiskey or board games or, you know, wine or whatever else he had to do. Um, so I thought this would be a nice occasion to maybe revisit some of his greatest efforts. Sure. And what I want you to listen out for is um, how much do you think Orson Welles had to drink before he started um, shooting this? And I think we'll go in like increasing order maybe of... Uh, you know, how much Dutch courage he found he required in order to sell the product in question. Certainly. So here's Orson Welles selling what was undoubtedly a fantastic board game from the 80s called Dark Tower. Last night I journeyed backwards in time to the medieval world of Dark Tower. In this amazing game, I had to find three keys, lay siege to the tower, and defeat the enemy within. Each move was a challenge. The computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises. Then, ahead of my opponent, I made my move. The battle was joined, and I was victorious. Dark Tower. Uh, <laughs> we have to put this on Facebook because it's just his... First of all, his face. Like, the first face you've seen, he's like, <laughs> eyebrows are quirked. And he's just like, oh, this is an incredible, so exciting. And then at the end, when he says, and I was victorious, and he just looks so delighted. <laughs> Pictures, sounds, surprises. There must have been like a whisk out of shot or something. Yeah. The runner just brought in. A well, actually, that, that one kind of stands out for its like coherence. True. So here's um, Orson Welles selling another wonderful product um, after perhaps he's had one or two. I've discovered a camera. The Vivitar, it's a pocket camera with a great idea. The electronic flash is built in, see? Now my flash pictures don't have to be blurry or fuzzy because somebody moved. There's a sharp Vivitar picture for you. And here's the Vivitar. Small, inexpensive, so easy. Nothing to attach. The flash is built in. If you want sharp pictures, this has got to be your camera. The Vivitar. What an actor. I think he's very gifted at turning sort of drunken slurs <laughs> and giving them some kind of dramatic weight. I think there's unintended pauses there. Um, so finally, a advert for which he was so drunk that they had to re-record everything and just do it as a voiceover. So when they did the final advert... Um, all of the stuff he actually recorded at the time is gone and it's just pictures of him and he's redone the voiceover so he sounds normal. Um, but for the real experience, you have to look up the outtakes, which fortunately are available on YouTube. He's selling a French wine called Paul Masson, um, or he's trying to sell it. Let's, let's, uh, let's see how he gets on. Turn camera. Marks. 102, take one. With overlap, action, please. Action awesome, please. You just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Okay, yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. 
It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So pour my son. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Inspired by that same French excellence, it's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson. Marvellous. Anyway, it kind of reminds me because um, it's your birthday coming up. Yes, scene, it right? is. So you you are quite close birth mates with um, Orson Welles. <laughs> it's true. Separated by only uh, whatever it is. Four days. Four days. <laughs> Four days. <laughs> and, uh, and 75 years. 75 years. <laughs> um yeah. A mere four days and 75 years. And I can kind of identify with um, Orson Welles and Strongers because um, I remember last year on your birthday, I left you a bit of an embarrassing oh, voicemail okay. message. Yeah, it was a bit embarrassing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but not so embarrassing that I'm not going to play it right now. Okay. Well, on your head, be it. It's Danny, I'm 24. I can't come on the phone right now. Leave me a message. Okay, bye-bye. Ah, my French friend Chris has always been celebrated for his excellence. I have another good friend named Dan Moran who matches that same French excellence. He's formidable in the bedroom, and like my best French friends, he is into dating. Dan Moran's superb taste shouldn't be too surprising. I'm not a clever chap, but I'm friends with a man who is. Dan Moran. Happy birthday, Dan! Happy birthday! Wow, wow, it's a sweet message from me. Yeah, well, <laughs> the sorry. sentiment was oh, there. I wish that I could have been there, you know, but I just had to stay at home and get drunk. <laughs> yeah, what like... did you do? Why weren't you at my party? I didn't know. I was just feeling a bit lonely. <laughs> Took a bottle of Paul Masson. Well, so you spent the evening by life. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what things were like for me back then, you know. It's before Film Chat, which brought me to contact with all sorts of. <laughs> I forget people. that I created this podcast just to save you from yourself. <laughs> just to get me some fucking friends. <laughs> Emergency. Yeah. I like that you recorded your voicemail message on the day of your birthday. As well. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot br- I'd done that. It's brand new. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit out of date now, of course. But yeah. All right. Well, listeners, that brings us quite nicely to the end of another episode of Film Chat. Thanks so much for listening. Um, thanks for sticking with us for 25 episodes. If you're one of our loyal listeners. That's right. A quarter century. A quarter century. That's a lot. Um, I mean, that's more than there were episodes of The Office, for example. Yeah, better than The Office. Better than The Office. Better than Firefly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's got cancelled, Well, there's more Bonds than there are, so we're better than Bond. Better than Bond. And, uh, yeah. Better I'm- than you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com I'm enjoying so, it. 
Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>